And welcome into another episode of Turn the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I'm Kieran Steckley. With me, as always, a man whom Bruce Springsteen once called the boss. He is Cody Stavenhagen. How you doing? Oh, if only. That'd be so awesome. <laughs> Springsteen's going to be in Florida around the time of next spring training. In, two, in true baseball writer fashion, I want to see Springsteen before he gets too old to tour. I've never seen him before. I'm going to try to go. Uh, we'll see if we can fit it in and if tickets could not be like $500. That'd be cool. Anyway. Yeah, friend of the podcast, Bruce Springsteen. Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, we'll get to a little bit of schedule stuff later in the podcast because that uh, came out uh, this week. On the surface, we don't have. I just kind of want to say it just like a one-off, one-liner. Like it's cool they put out the schedule, they get it out, and all that stuff this early. But it also kind of feels like odd because no one else does that with this kind of timing. But I guess you just you know, 162. You you got more to figure out. I don't know. But it, uh, it, yeah, it, not not to get off on a whole tangent on this, but we're gonna do it anyway. Like number one, who cares? There was someone <laughs> when the NBA schedule came out. Someone was like, "This is a holiday for like all NBA fans," and I was like, "Is it though? Like I, you know, NBA is different than MLB, but does anyone really care about the release of the schedule? I think football is the only thing where maybe that's somewhat exciting. You know, see, it was on the schedule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There's only sixteen, seventeen games, and maybe plan a trip if you're gonna go. Like, schedule release does not, I mean, I don't know, allows me to plan some stuff, but I don't really care otherwise. Yeah. So well, if you could do it now, you could do it in the off season. Yeah. I don't think it, it, it matters more to most people. Yeah. Well, um, you say, like, does it really matter? It's like for an out-of-towner, like, obviously the first thing I do is I look at when uh, when the Tigers will be in Texas, which they were this weekend. And the thing is, though, like, I'm going to look for it, and then I'm going to forget in three weeks, and I'm going to randomly think of it, and then I'm going to look at it again, and then in six weeks, I'm going to forget. And so so I, I guess it's like, it's not knowledge that I'm going to hold on to. I guess I'll just say it like that. When it comes, it comes. I think it's, see if I can remember off the top of my head, I think it's like June 26th, uh, 24, 20, it's like a Monday, it's like a Tuesday through thursday or monday through wednesday something like that regardless doesn't matter um last week we did a big picture podcast and i called it christopher nolan this week kind of a similar concept i'm gonna go james cameron this time the biggest of pictures uh not necessarily the best movies but they're all big pictures yeah i was gonna say hopefully it's better than a james cameron movie you know just it's it's a it's a whole spectacle Hopefully there's like actually a like connective narrative <laughs> tissue here. I don't. James Cameron films bother me a lot of time. It's fair, and by year's end, we'll have another Avatar that will probably just be a copy of another like classic tale, like the first one. But anyway, I but, I, it'll, I, but it'll it'll set a box office record. The real problem with America is not like generational. It's just why do why do we watch such stupid movies? <laughs> That's the real problem. I went Ain't and saw wrong. that. I saw that new Thor or whatever, not because I wanted to, because some friends were going. That's a whole other story. One of them, <laughs> terrible movie. And set like box office records. Horrible. Where are we at? Clearly, yeah. we're not doing a good job staying on topic this week. All right, here we go. Tigers. All right, on topic, the Detroit Tigers. We're going to play a game, Cody, 
called Big Deal, Little Deal, or No Deal. And I got, I don't know, about 12 things on here. Some of them are multifaceted, so uh, that number might technically be a little, little higher up. But there's... The Tigers are in a state right now where if you're discussing things, if you're trying to anticipate things, it all really kind of hinges on when this GM hire happens and who that person is and what their philosophies are and this, that, the other thing. So we can't go too far ahead, but we can kind of say like, all right, this thing right here is concerning, big deal, eh, little deal, or yeah, whatever, no deal. So, you wrote about this this week, so I want to kind of bat lead off with this, and this is a guy who used to be a leadoff hitter for the Tigers, Robbie Grossman. A little bit of a, little bit of a hitting surge over there when he goes to the Atlanta Braves. Uh, in 83 games with the Detroit Tigers this year, he hit two home runs. In 18 games for the Atlanta Braves... He has hit two home runs, and I know there are more in-depth numbers than that, but I kind of wanted to just get the, the top off the head right there. And immediately we start getting stories from, like, your colleagues and people down in Atlanta saying, you know, they <clears throat> excuse me, they figured out something that unlocked his swing a little bit as a guy that had power last year, didn't display hardly any power this year, and then he goes to another team. The uh, Isak Paredes element kind of in play here as well, although I think his counting number is a little bit better than the advanced numbers uh, dictate. Big deal, little deal, no deal. Robbie Grossman immediately leaves the team and starts unlocking closer to the player that we admired just a, just a year ago. I'm going big deal. And I know this is a sensitive topic. You know, I brought it up because... Robbie, detailed for David O'Brien of The Athletic, you know, Braves sat me down my first day here. You know, they, they saw something on video. They have something, that I think, through their Hawkeye program, show some biomechanics. Looked like they he, there was an allusion to getting tension out of his upper body. I don't know what that entailed, but I think that goes back to some of the stuff we've talked about where biomechanics aren't implemented enough in the Tigers process. Changed his hand path, his bat path. They were comparing it all to what he was doing a year ago, two years ago, and got his uh, left-handed swing back on track. Um, you can look at the numbers. You know, he had a great first few games in Atlanta, then cooled a little bit. Then he has hits in three straight. That's all the nature of baseball. We can debate is Robbie Grossman actually fixed or not until we're blue in the face. I think the point still stands. Robbie Grossman felt like he got a level of help right upon landing in Atlanta that he was not getting in Detroit. And I think that's a big deal. And I heard from a couple people in the Tigers, and they were a little defensive about this whole narrative. And then I was like, well, why? And I was like, oh, wait, no, everything you wrote was spot on. It's still, you know, <laughs> that was, the, there were a couple conversations like that. Analytics aren't enough of the process. Oh, yeah, the Braves probably are better than us. Okay, but you're still defensive why? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, just, you know, I understand. No one, no one likes to be criticized. And it's not even, it's consider this constructive criticism. This is what we've been talking about. The Tigers organizational process lags behind. That was largely a product 
of the Alavila era and the way things were run under the next GM that has to change. It's not necessarily an indictment of the quality of the analytics department or those people or the biomechanics department or those people. I think there are some smart people in those departments. It's about integrating those into the overall decision-making process that in, starts with the types of players you're acquiring, that goes into how you're developing these players, ultimately how you are helping them improve at the major league level. This was example one of a million of clearly other teams do a better job than this um, than the Tigers do. So some nuggets there for pod listeners. Uh, name that's come up in the GM search for me lately, Randy Flores, Cardinals assistant GM. I think it's still very, very early on in this GM search. So who knows? But uh, I like on paper, I like the idea of Flores better than Jason McLeod, one of the big names that had previously come up. And two, I heard I heard a fun story. I heard, basically heard multiple versions from a couple of these people. Jace Young, who I like a lot, thought it was a good pick. Can't hit velocity. Pretty well known. Data shows he struggles against anything, 93 and above. You know who's great against velocity? Kieran's guy, uh, Zach Neto. In the draft room... There were a lot of people saying, oh, we should take Zach Neto. According to one person, it was about it was about 80-20 people in that room who wanted Neto over Young. And the Tigers, with the draft being run by Al Avila and David Chad, still took Jace Young. They liked his grit. I'm still connected here. I'm just letting that marinate for a second for everybody. <laughs> 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 because uh, 80-20, you know, that's a... Uh pretty heavy number there <laughs> there's a lot of analysts versus scouts and there were a few traditional scouts who were dead set on jace young and that's ultimately what the tigers based their decision on jace young look i like mike has plenty of chances to go into a fine major league career maybe it ends up being the right pick maybe it doesn't still tells you about how the tigers have been making decisions i think the lesson here in the past two first rounds is if there's a shortstop there and a lot of people like him, take him. <laughs> there's, there's your lesson. Don't pass on shortstops. Uh, to, to tie back to the Robbie thing, I'm saying big deal as well, but not necessarily like everything you said, yes, but I'm going to add a layer to it. Whereas if you are better at, performance science biomechanics analytics blah blah blah, whatever term you want to use you also get to take advantage of teams in trades that aren't as good so mm-hmm. no offense to chris anglin i hope i'm saying that right but you know they're already getting better return with this trade and they knew they probably you know they probably knew all right if we just kind of do this we can work them and then we're gonna get more value here over a you know a pitcher who may or may not ever make the big leagues so you know that's remember when the braves redid their whole outfield at last year's trade deadline and then won the world series it's almost like they might be pretty good at this it's almost like they might know a few things they know what they're doing so so yeah like these are like when you have a smart front office these are the kind of things that you can do. You can take advantage of, of teams in multiple on the field and in the front office where you see value and you can 
you know, get more for less, essentially. So that's that. That's what I would say about that. Next one, this was news this week. Uh, we had kind of hoped your old uh, Amarilla buddy Jake Rogers would be able to come and get some at-bats, get some innings uh, this year, and we're not going to get that. He's not progressing well enough from his Tommy John last year. By the way, this stuff's not automatic, people. You know what I mean? Just keep that in mind for the Tigers, uh, several guys on the Tigers moving forward. Big deal, little deal, no deal. Jake Rogers, not going to get him back in Detroit this year. Uh, I'm going to go little deal. I think there's a chance Jake gets some minor league at-bats as a DH. Um, Clearly, his arm is just not all the way there it's tougher to know with catchers you're not necessarily rehabbing the same arm motion over and over like you would a pitcher catchers are thrown from different arm arm angles all this stuff and sounds like he's just not quite there how much are you really going to glean from a month of at bats from jake rogers probably not a ton you could argue that could be an unfair evaluation if he gets up to the majors and has barely swung a bat in a year and then it's all right you know go face the the guardians you know bullpen Oh, you went 0 for 3? Oh, you suck to be right you off. I don't know. At the same time, it would be nice just to just to see him, just to know he exists. Because, man, your catcher situation, uh, once again, a lot of uncertainty going into next year. And what's the best way to build it? I don't, I don't know. You'd like to think you could pencil in Jake Rogers for one of those two spots. Eric Haas with his bat could argue he's he's come pretty close to earning uh a shot to return in that backup role but then it's like can you really just trot out Haas and Rogers and feel good about it do you feel any good any better about Jake Rogers than you did this time last year no you probably feel worse uh something that can be overcome but still matters so if I were to say catching situation as a whole moving forward big deal little deal no deal it'd be big deal because because I'm that that's just where my mind is yeah. going because uh, I believe it was Chris Mikowski wrote like you know maybe yeah you know, I think he what was it the case to keep Tucker Barnhart and mm-hmm. it's not it's not something that he should be on an island for I'll say it like that there ought to be some people that say like look this makes sense because of this I know we've talked about it you know contract wise. Uh, he's not. What is he making? Eight million right now this year. Um, seven and a half. Seven and a half. So you, you, he's not making that next year anywhere. So you can probably bring him back on some sort of. I don't know. It'd be value be the right word, but it'd be a hell of a lot more value than than you know output to pay this year. And I just one of the things that I'm kind of sick of, to be honest. Like there are a couple things I just like get jealous of with like other like franchises uh, one of them is when they get to sign some 22 year old to a 15 year contract because that means the, the kid splashed shout out julio over there in seattle um another thing is like stability at catcher when's the last time the tigers had stability at catcher it's been a long time alex avila was probably i mean even because even mccann you were always kind of longing for more. And by the way, another guy who went and popped like a, you know, shortly after. Yeah, the Tigers got rid of James yeah. McCann. 
Yeah. He wasn't actually that good as a tight Yeah. So. And that Mets contract, by the way, and has not looked great. Even though James McCann has become a good major league catcher. Like, I always thought he was overpaid. Yeah. That's, that, that is fair. So, speaking of overpaid, like, the idea of Tucker Barnard returning. For a while, I was on board with that earlier in the year. We're now into late August, and Tucker Barnhart still has zero home runs. He is worth negative 0.4 wins above replacement. His WRC plus is 49. I think Chris's article suggested bring him back at 4 million. Uh, I have a tough time justifying that. 1 or 2 million. I I guess there's a case, like, surely this guy's going to play better. Maybe that ends up being a great value contract, but his lifetime offensive production, WRC Plus, is 79. Uh, although he does have two gold gloves, the sheer numbers indicate he's actually not a great framer. His arm is average. He's, more, he's a good blocker and probably does the intangible things, calling a game well. So unless the Tigers' analytics and biomechanics department knows something that we don't and is prepared to fix with Tucker Barnhart, those numbers right there tell me you can get that kind of production from a million dudes, maybe a dude on a minor league deal, maybe, or you can set your sights a little higher. And even though, man, I hate this recycled group of catchers in the free agency market, I wonder if somehow the Tigers and their next GM can get creative in a trade. But I think I'm out on the idea of bringing back Tucker Barnhart. He just, poor guy just hasn't produced. And I like Tucker, but yeah, zero home runs, bro. Yeah, no. I mean... Part of what I'm thinking is that, and we this is a talking point that we've done the past couple of weeks, like how much are you gaining in 2023 whenever uh, there's going to be an organizational shift? And to me, bringing back Tucker stalls that even more because part of the evaluation in 2023 has to involve one Dylan Dingler. Uh, I'm not saying like starting out on the major league roster, but do you want to put another obstacle into figuring out the second round pick from a couple of years ago about whether he can play? If you know, mm-hmm. we have Jake Rogers, you back. definitely got to figure out Jake Rogers yeah. and even Haas, who's kind of doing just enough to stick around. Again, are you going to kick him off the roster to keep Tucker, you know, as much as I'm not, pounding the table for Eric Haas, at least you know he can bring you something. Mm-hmm. And I think you kind of have to decide, do we want to keep doing this year after year with Haas, or is he like a real dude, or we do we want to move on and go Jake and someone else? And yeah, I think Tucker becomes an obstacle to all of that. Yeah, I agree. Bigger picture, like somehow you got to get a catcher, and I don't know where that's coming from. And I don't know if that Dylan Dingler is the answer. Mm-hmm. So take yeah. a step back. The catcher situation, pretty big deal. Yeah, it's there's a lot more questions than answers for sure. Despite having a lot of bodies and possibilities that at some point everyone felt nice to pretty good about. Uh, all right, so the guy who's come on real nice, the guy that's been a, a write-off for a lot of people, myself included, Parker Meadows. He's he might be on to something here. He's got 15 home runs in Erie this year. That's 19 total on the season. I uh, think he had though his most recent home run the other day was a missile. I mean, I it can't camera couldn't yeah, even catch up to it with the the change uh, from camera one to camera two. 
and he looks more comfortable at the plate from you know I don't, obviously I'm not watching these every day but he looks a little bit more comfortable he he looks like he's grown into his body in a way that I mean we had talked about this before but he's grown into it, his body a lot more than he had as an adult as a professional and you know we're we're not here to place any kind of expectations but from a guy to be a write off to all right let's let's see if you can build on xyz maybe he's an early example of some of the implementation of the tigers behind the scenes analytics biomechanics you know going down into the system maybe hey maybe him and wenzel are sort of like reju- rejuvenation projects that have seen some some good results so parker meadows doing a little bit of raking in the minors big deal little deal no deal it's it's a little deal it's it's not nothing uh i'm kind of done making a big deal over anything anyone does in double a particularly <laughs> if you've been in the system since 2018 uh that said meadows is only 22 years old he's still a pretty young guy i think there's clearly only one logical explanation as we talked about back in spring training, Austin Meadows is, he is Parker Meadows. He is clearly taking it bats for his brother, right? Where's Austin Meadows? We haven't seen him all year. You know, you know, maybe Parker's still around and goes in and and plays on defense, but I think Austin's the one taking these at bats. The only logical explanation. Um, In all seriousness, Parker Meadows, things I like his walk rate, career high, 10.6% strikeout rate, career low, 17.3%. So in addition to killing the ball, hitting for some power, having a swing that just looks a lot smoother, um, he's making better decisions at the plate. I think that's huge. Still a great athlete. Suddenly a reminder of why this guy was a second-round pick. He's a guy who's going to be real interesting next year. You can challenge him at the AAA level, and uh, he's going to have the case to work his way to the big leagues You know, probably at some point next year, whereas entering this season we were – about ready to write him off. So huge year for Parker Meadows. Guys like Meadows, Wenzel Perez, very good developmental gains for the Tigers. Now let's see him do it at AAA. Let's see him do it in the big leagues. Yeah, I was just thinking, I think I have another story idea for you. I think you need to do a deep dive into the Everybody in the league with an Erie and uh, and Toledo, all the opposing teams, and calculate how many of them actually like have good pitchers that have gone on to major league success. Because if we if we find or if you find that uh, everybody in those leagues kind of flames out, doesn't doesn't have much of a major league uh, career, maybe that needs to frame how we view these guys hitting in uh in double a and triple a maybe they're just not facing good pitching i don't know it is like because we've seen several examples of us getting excited it's like oh it's double a that's where the best you know arms are and then triple a all right these are where the most ready arms are and we've been disappointed by that a couple of times so there, there's there, there's your next athletic deep dive project. Could do some some nice little graphics like y'all like to do. I think uh, <laughs> I think that could work. Maybe do one of those those, those three three idea. sentence headlines. Yeah. Uh, though you don't do that that often, but it, it is pretty. <laughs> oh, no. It's no it's pretty pretty uh, popular on the athletic. So I don't know. Maybe it's just bad pitching over there. Uh, I think it might be worth a look. Well, okay, you mentioned Austin Meadows, so. 
the fact that Austin Meadows' body just completely betrayed him this year in basically every fashion that your body could without having a actual like season-ending injury, and given that you traded Paredes, who all of a sudden shows the pop that we all kind of figured was there, but he didn't display it in Detroit. Austin Meadows' injury lingering. Big deal, little deal, no deal. Little deal. Makes you wonder. Makes you wonder what the Rays knew. It wasn't like they were just, you know, a trade everyone loved for the Tigers. You really think the, the savvy Rays were just chill with that? Clearly they thought they could fix Paredes. They have to a degree. His batting average on base percentage aren't any good, but he would lead the Tigers and homers, WRC plus in war. Um, and I don't know, Austin Mills was an all-star for them, and then suddenly they were trying to trade him. You know, I think money was a little part of that deal and creating some room elsewhere in the outfield, but makes you wonder. Um, looking forward to next year, you kind of got to pencil in Meadows to be one of your quarter and outfielders, I think. How good do you feel about that? I don't know. We've barely seen him all year. He's a big league guy. He's got some track record, that dreaded word that has betrayed the Tigers all year long. <laughs> um, it'd be cool if you could feel a little more, bit more confident about Austin Meadows. But he's had setback after setback. I don't know if we're going to see him again this year. You know, I, I have no idea. It's getting to the point where is it even worth it? Do you maybe just scrap scrap this and try it again next year and hope that he's back to form? Tigers clearly have to upgrade their outfield. And when you have this collection of fourth outfielders and, and man, Akil Badu, who's just fallen off a cliff, and Daz Cameron, and this guy, and, and, you know, Victor Reyes is the one guy actually playing well. He still only has one home run, so uh, he is what he is. It'd be cool if you could feel better about Austin Meadows. It's not good for your team next year. I mean, you, you have to. To have Austin Meadows in your outfield yeah. next year, mm-hmm. like there's, there's, I guess you could non-tender him. You could, because what happens if he's not in your lineup next year? Oh wait, we're seeing it right now. The offense can't do mm-hmm. squat, you know. And so he's had, as <laughs> love looking at numbers that you kind of forget about. He's had 147 plate appearances this year. 147. Doesn't seem like it's been that many. Doesn't. I mean, yeah, that was actually higher than I thought. It was 36 games in total. Uh, he's he's a guy that like look it if there's gonna be a time February into March where when you start talking yourself into positive vibes. Oh yeah, Austin I'll Meadows is gonna, Austin Meadows is back and he's, he's healthy. back. I'll write he's that healthy. Story. I will. Forget about this all star, this former all star who had literally every single thing go wrong for him that you couldn't even make up if you tried. You know, uh, health-wise, and you know, he's. You should also write that he's more comfortable living in Detroit. He doesn't have to like move on the fly like he did last year. He knows like, where his dogs are gonna be this year. His, you know, his yeah. dogs are gonna be there. Like this is he's the he's a really high candidate. Uh, maybe I'm gonna put in the call right now. Number two to Spencer Turnbull in terms of like here's uh. Here's a guy who's who's back, and he's gonna make this. He's gonna make this uh, real impact on the team. And if you get this out of him, then you know the team could go up like another level or whatever. So there are your two names right there, Austin Meadows. Because if 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 you don't have him in the corner, like 
anyone having fun watching the outfield right now? So it, it's it's a must. It is a must. And he is uh, looking at it. He's he's gonna be arb eligible. He's a free agent in 2025, and he is looking at he's 27. He just turned 27 in May, so he's gonna be 28. This next year is his age 28 season. So what's he make? What's his salary? Uh, I think it's only like four, four million. Okay. So, gotta bring, gotta bring that dude back. Gotta pencil him in, and mm-hmm. in those few at bats, like he has looked good. You know, the overall numbers aren't amazing, but his quality of at bat was probably better than anyone on this team. So, positive war, which is uh, you know, not all that common on the team right now. <laughs> not common uh, at all. <laughs> um, negative war wise. Miggy hitting 171 since July 1st. Big deal, little deal, no deal. I'm going big deal because we're just going to have to do this again next year unless he essentially swallows pride. And this is and that's another reason why I'm worried next year's a wash. I think it's a pretty big deal and to go full James Cameron it's because the the big picture. You know, one of my my first days, my internship covering the Rangers. T.R. Sullivan was like, you know, the Rangers were clearly going to make a roster move. And he's kind of quizzing me, like, what do you think they're going to do? And it's weird. You can follow baseball your whole life. And until you cover a team day to day, still like not fully grasp, like how the roster functions and whatever I said was just completely wrong. And he was like, no, you got to understand it's this big picture. There are all these moving parts. And like, you know, with Miguel, this is where we're at because how good do you feel about first base next year? I know that's another topic we're probably about to hit on. Mm-hmm. Don't think you feel very good, and it's a problem. So do the Tigers have to bring in another first baseman? Well, can you bank on someone with a, a major league deal when you have Torkelson and theoretically Miguel Cabrera as your as your DH? I think maybe the answer is to get a guy who can play third, some first, maybe even a corner a little bit, but harder to work that guy in when Miguel's eating up your DH spot. Do you bring in some guy in a minor league deal and just pray to God Torkelson beats him out? That might ultimately be what happens. And then still, you have a DH who's been below replacement level since, what, 2018, who's only getting worse, who's struggling right now. The headline already came up yesterday. Oh, his knee's feeling better. We're going to go through that in spring training. Oh, his knee's better. He took care of him. Yeah. I, I hate it, man. I've tried to really respect. Told fans to appreciate what Miguel is doing this year, but we are at the point where the sentiment for Miguel Cabrera is now um, running counter to the idea of building a winning team. Uh, that'll be a fun, big decision for the next GM to make upon his his or her introduction to the Tigers organization. There's a strong case for you just got to cut ties with this thing as cold as it, as it may be. Like it's Especially if it's a first-time GM. Hey, here's your first move. <laughs> right now, sure looks like Miguel Cabrera is coming back in 2023 and... That's just not good for your roster, and I wish we could get to a point where we stop lying to ourselves, stop saying, oh, well, if Miguel, you know, it's like he did in the first half. The first half, Miguel Carrera was still close to below average, because he does, can't hit for power anymore. We're justifying spots for guys like Tucker Barnard and Victor Reyes and Miguel Cabrera, and, you know, it, it, it sucks to be cold and calculated in this business, but there are a lot of teams out there that would look at these guys and their bottom line numbers and say, what are we doing here? 
Tigers want next year to not be a wash, it's a good place to start. You're right. You're right. Uh, there's nothing but sentiment and, you know, I don't know if there's a better way to phrase it, but just sort of like respect for the legend to justify what is likely going to happen. And I guess if you want to say no matter what, it's a wash, so you might as well not ruffle like a franchise legend's feathers and not, you know, for Red guys who are also Red Wings fans, not like Sergei Fedorov or, you know, have some sort of long-lasting uh, beef with the franchise. Um, I guess you do that, but at the very least, we just can't pretend it's anything other than that. I guess that would be my main thing is that, like, I don't, I just don't want to pretend it's anything other than that. I don't want to hear, like, with all due respect, I know why you would do it, but I want to hear from AJ talking about, like, some little thing that, like, brings value and like we just gotta we just gotta be honest about it there all right so um well let's just go into the other part of uh of the first base dh question is you know we had very high hopes for spencer torkelson coming into the season track record obviously of, of hitting good plate approach great swing and then he hit what was it 197 uh in uh in the bigs this year right before the all-star break gets moved down the whole thing is you know reset your mind work on some fine-tuning uh all the behind the scenes stuff i thought was really awkward just a little side note I kind of thought, like, what's going through Spencer Torkelson's mind when, because uh, I saw the video of Kerry Carpenter, like, getting his, like, you know, you're going to the big leagues kid thing, and and Spencer's yeah. there with his, you know, like, prepared meal. Like, he did seem genuine. This is not a criticism. I'm not, like, genuinely really happy for Kerry getting the call up and all that stuff. And, and he's just, like, a background player in this video. And I'm thinking as I watch it, I'm like, this guy was 1-1. And he's in the minors because he couldn't hit the one thing you thought you could count on. Couldn't hit uh, to start out with. And this, what was it, 19th round, right, for Kerry Carver? 19th round guy is mm-hmm. going up to the majors where you once were down the road. And that's just that's just got to be, I was like, that's just a weird thing. Like, Spencer Torkelson, 1-1, is like a background, like, high five in this guy getting his big league dream. Again, not criticize him or anything I, i'm happy he was happy ge- happily gen- genuinely happy excuse me for carrie but it was also like weird to see so we can also throw ryan kreidler in here who is a guy that i think many expected to see this year was definitely you know as 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 media as fans you're always looking for that sleeper that come up guy you know it was obviously Tarek schoolville a couple years ago and, and Kreidler was the next one, and for a handful of reasons, injury included, hasn't happened this year. He's also not hitting that well in Toledo, and that's a guy that you'd like to be able to pencil in for something. Pencil, not pen. Pencil in for something, but I don't know if you can even do that. So the conundrum of Spencer Torkelson and Ryan Kreidler, by the way, 229, four home runs in 31 games for Special Torkelson in Toledo since he uh, got called down. Uh, you'd like to 
be able to bank on these guys, obviously, especially Torkelson. But there's just no evidence that you can. So, big deal, little deal, no deal. I think it's a big deal. I think it's as big a deal as any of these topics we're touching on. For a lot of the reasons I explained with Miguel, but like, what in the world? First base was supposed to be one of the few positions you felt good at. Oh, we've got Torkelson. We've got a cornerstone. For years. Next year, spring training, like what? What do you what do you do? You right now you cannot feel good about oh Spencer Torkelson is gonna be our opening day first baseman. Looking at his numbers in August, he's actually done um better, you know, three eighty four on base percentage, two fifty six average just in August. Those are better than his Toledo numbers last year. But he's not hitting for a ton of slug. On video, it looks like he's I think he's standing a little closer to the plate. He has like a little more of a load. Still no real timing mechanism that I see in his swing. I still don't think he's on time a lot. And it's like, I don't know, good for you for having a 380 OBP in AAA in August. Like, how did that pan out this year? Um, and and then it's just like, what is your what is your answer? I think you have to get someone else. And But really, you just have to cross your fingers and pray that Torkelson, things click, which this could easily happen. I'm not calling Torkelson a bust. Give the guy plenty more time. But, like, you got to see something. And right now, I'm not sure if we're seeing Spencer Torgelson in Detroit again this year. And if we, like, what what the Tigers need is to see him force his way. Oh, he's so good in AAA, we got to bring him back up. And he's doing the little things. His approach is so good, we believe he can succeed in the majors. And then you need to see him finish, you know, a good, you know, three, last three or so weeks in the big leagues. And then you can feel a lot better about things entering next season. Right now, you can't do that. Right now, the next GM is going to have a huge headache trying to figure out first base. Similar thing for Kreidler. His strikeout rates are off the charts. If you're striking out a ton in AAA, how do you think that's going to translate to the big leagues? Probably not very well. Granted, he's been hurt all year. I'm sure it's tough to come back and adjust. I still feel good about Kreidler long term. But there was kind of this thought. I was saying, like, at one point, you know, if you if you tried to say, oh, Ryan Kreidler is our third baseman next year, that's probably not very good. Well, now I don't think that's even an option. Because if the guy can't get up to the big leagues this year, you definitely can't say, oh, he's going to be our third baseman. So what is he? Does he start next year in AAA? Can you still count on one as a utility piece? Long-term, Torkelson and Kreidler, maybe you can still feel pretty good about. But in terms of constructing next year's roster, just two more things that have really gone against you. Yeah, and I think that's actually something that everyone's going to have to have like reminders in their mind about the moves that are made this offseason, there's going to be... It's going to be a tough balance between big picture and, you know, little picture, yeah. I guess. But, you know, like 2023 and beyond and just 2023. Like, you're going to you're gonna have to... That's, that's all, I mean, just thinking about it in my head, same thing with catcher. Like, you're going to have to really straddle a line in a way that is, quite frankly, not that it can't be done, but it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge, especially, I mean, it would be a challenge if it was your 18th year as a GM or your third year and you've got like your guys in there and your system implemented and all that stuff. So you got to implement your system, your beliefs, your core values, and also make all these moves uh, that have to be made. And I mean... We don't have to spend a whole lot of time, and we talked about them a lot, but, like, I'm starting to think, like, 
we still might see Jamer next year just because, like, it might just be one less thing to have to tackle. I'm not saying I want that to happen, but I could see that happen, happening. It's like, we'll figure out this. We'll figure this out at another time. Just bring him back for one more year. I'm not. I'm not saying I predict it, uh, but I'm saying I could see it. I could see it. And because there's going to be a lot that's going on behind the scenes that we're not going to see, that aren't going to be in press releases. And it, 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 the Tigers are in a weird spot. And when you're in a weird spot, not everything's going to kind of flow and go directly in an incline. There's a lot, like, like you said with TR, shout out TR. There's a lot of moving pieces. There's a lot of pieces to this puzzle, and you can't tackle them all in one offseason. You just can't. Especially when it's your your first time heading the team. So, yeah, I mean, the, this could all very easily be rendered pointless if they could just hit Kryler and uh, and and especially Torkelson. Easy, just, right? Just hit. Just hit. Just hit. Just hit. Yeah, it's so just, simple. Yeah. You know, how hard is it? Yeah. <laughs> if only. It's like, come on, just stand there and swing this swing this wood thing and make connection with it's the like ball. the guy that's like the guy in uh, in high school like the star football player who's like oh i'd be the best player on the baseball team and dude's probably like couldn't <laughs> the ball at all you know i think we all we all had a couple guys like that we, we had a couple football players come for baseball once and uh they ran through second base it was like well you, you can't <laughs> you can't just that's not how it works uh but anyway here's one uh Comerica Park being a Pepsi Park. Big deal, little deal, no deal. I mean, never mind. This is a bigger deal than Torkelson, man. Uh, I, I hate <laughs> Pepsi products. I, I kind of like Mountain Dew, but I'm not I'm not always in the mood for Mountain Dew. Try not to drink as much soda or pop or whatever you're supposed to call it around here anymore, but sometimes I still get that <laughs> craving. It's like, man, am I really trying to fill my cup up with Pepsi right here? Can I not have a Dr. Pepper, even a Coke? Oh be so much better i mean i think everyone would be in better spirits if the tigers could somehow swing maybe the that's the blame we have it's one thing we, we have evidence for. of yeah. we have evidence of the team being on a really bad seven-year stretch with pepsi maybe it's time for a change you know just saying it i just want to put it I out there. little caesars like, also it, has a deal with pepsi so all these moving parts you can't just you can't just cut the cord <laughs> that easily that's happening at the Little Caesars oh, level too. That is uh that is the analysis you come <laughs> to turn the corner for. Little Caesars also has a deal with Pepsi. That's a good one. I like that. Um here's one that I think people could be talked to in a couple facets. It's not it's either a little deal or a big deal, and I think both have valid points. Matt Manning. It's kind of starting to look like a dude. So, in his last four starts, 25 innings, 26 Ks, 5 walks, a 1.80 ERA. Now, if you follow Cody on Twitter, at Cody Stabenhagen, uh, during Matt Manning's most recent start, of which he uh, finished on a high note, I guess you would say, you had kind of pointed out, it's like, I didn't necessarily feel like he was really that much in command, more so than what, you know, the 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 baseline numbers were so that's why i think it could be little deal if it's like uh but is it more random than anything else or it could be big deal where it's like okay maybe he is actually starting to turn the corner i think 
I think those both of them have valid arguments. So I'm curious what you think. Yeah, I'm tempted to call it a big deal. I'm gonna tone things down, call it a little deal, something to watch, something that maybe could become a big deal. This is exactly what the Tigers need to see from Matt Manning. We talk about feeling good, having some peace of mind. If you can end this year feeling good about Matt Manning, uh, that's huge, especially with Mize and Scooble obviously on the shelf. Um, I think we've seen some good from Matt Manning. That slider, he's finally starting to throw some pretty good ones, man. At the same time as last outing, I think uh, runners were stranded at third in three of the first four innings. So a couple things go yep. against you, and that outing probably could have blown up pretty quickly. As good as he was, as good as he's been in his past four starts, it's been a lot of fastball slider. I'm still not seeing three pitches out of this guy. He's had a couple outings where there's more fastball curveball, and the slider wasn't there. The changeup doesn't seem to be much of a factor. Uh, you can go ask Matthew Boyd how, how long you can be a two-pitch pitcher starting at the MLB level. It's going to come back to bite you if you don't have at least three pitches you can feel really good about. So there's work to be done there. At the same time, Matt Manning's really done as much as you could ask. Um, the numbers are good. I think the metrics are fine, too. I just want to see that third pitch, and I want to see him keep doing it, as AJ said, like, you know, however many great starts doesn't make you an ace, however many bad starts doesn't make you a failure. It's been a really good little run here for Matt Manning his past four, and, and I think all seven starts this season. If he can do that into September, suddenly you feel a lot better about where you're at with him going into the next year, and that, that has some real value. Because he's your number two as of now, right, next uh, year? Nah, I'd still pencil in Turnbull. I think Turnbull's more proven. I'd go Erod Turnbull. And okay, that's someone. That's fair. I guess I was Matt, just. But that's <laughs> so Matt Manning's my number four next year. But that's that's me. Well, I mean, I guess mainly I was just trying to account for maybe some rust or whatever for Turnbull. And, like, yeah, still in terms to of pitchers that we currently know who are healthy and alive and on the roster, uh, <laughs> Matt Manning's your number two. <laughs> and then, uh, and then just throw a hundred k at somebody and tell them to pitch three innings because we don't believe in paying money to pitchers anymore so, <laughs> so, so here i am saying you gotta, gotta sign another <laughs> another pitcher so i what a mess yeah it, it's, it's a hard thing to figure out that's because that's you do it's... like can your rotation next year be erod turnbull manning brisky and some other incarnation of michael pineda i don't love that i think you guys kind of go get another dude but but then you're paying money to a pitcher who's probably just going to get hurt so <laughs> Running backs, don't pay them. Pitchers, don't pay them. All right, so here's something that... Is it me being contrarian? I don't know, but I, I, I kind of get worried when I see it as much as I love to see it. You know, Riley Green makes these spectacular catches in the outfield. You know, these Superman dives. And I can't be the only one that's kind of like... Every time, as cool as it is, as great as it is to see, like, those are plays where you have a decent chance of getting hurt. So, I say, Riley Green, Superman dives in the outfield, which is a skill set. Don't get me wrong. Big deal, little deal, no deal, because I think it worries me. It worries me. Uh, I'm saying no deal for the next, like, four or five years. He's shown, I mean, the one injury he's really had was he fouled the ball off his foot, kind of a freak thing. 
I don't know how you quantify someone being injury prone versus not, but it seemed like anytime Jared Hill did something like that, he was just breaking. So far, when Riley Green does something like that, he he pops up, he's fine. Um, seems like he's just been pretty sturdy. Now, there's a guy who comes to mind named King Griffey Jr., who was very sturdy for the first half of his career and then totally broke for the second half of his career. So these things probably do take their toll over time. Uh, I think the Tigers have a long, 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 long list of things to worry about, and (laughs) that's not really making that list for me just yet. How about, we talked about the schedule earlier. I'm going to read off for everybody that may not, have looked at it or just a little reminder here are your first five series first five series of tampa bay houston boston toronto and i guess i only wrote down four i think number five is baltimore or cleveland it's one of those two because it's uh cleveland then you go to baltimore then milwaukee and then baltimore again i think you close out the month in uh in baltimore uh yeah you play them twice and by the way uh, I don't know if you've seen, you know, Baltimore can play some baseball now. So that is, uh, you know, the schedule is always tough or whatever. I mean, that's a <laughs> that's a pretty tough stretch. You know, those are good teams. I mean, you know, who knows with Boston? These guys start like 8-27 and 27 again, man. Some people are going to be jumping in the Detroit River. That's what I'm saying. But you look at that schedule, it's like you're going to – there ain't no room for, oh, a slow start. Like, you're going to have to come out of the gates playing some good ball. If you can get through that close to 500, you're feeling pretty good about yourselves. Like, that's, I don't like to think about that. That's, ooh. See, on one hand, I want to say it's a no deal because you got to play all these teams anyway. Right. It is. Yeah. But at the same time, like, how you start a lot of times kind of sets the tone for you like how you feel, you know, throughout the year and you know, it can be overcome, but it's a lot harder. You know, it's a lot harder. So for whatever that's worth, that is a pretty tough schedule. Maybe I'll go to uh maybe I'll try to go to opening day next year. That is home opener, I should say. That is my birthday. And and my wife is a Red Sox fan, so that might be an easy uh might be an easy thing to swing. You know, hey, why don't we go to Detroit? You know, oh, the Red Sox are there too. It is my birthday. You know, a couple weeks after the anniversary. You know, I, I think I, I, I might be able to swing that. We'll see. Um, all right. The I know we talked about Tucker a pretty good bit, but I kind of threw him in here, even though he wasn't technically a free agent addition. But the Eduardo Rodriguez and Javi Baez situations i don't know what else to say uh two guys that you signed for the specific reason to be faces of your franchise and one of them went through some personal matters that i'm not trying to make light of but the bottom line is the bottom line he was out for what was it two months whatever i don't know and the other one who I want to give some credit for, for basically being out there every day. I'm one of those people that does find value in that. However, again, the bottom line is the bottom line. More erratic in the field than you want, and definitely more inconsistent at the plate than what you, A, signed him money-wise for, and B, a guy that you have in the middle of your order. 
So the long contracts that this new GM is going to inherit, Eduardo Rodriguez and Javi Baez, and their production level to this point, big deal, little deal, no deal. We're going to go little deal. Funny how quickly you can feel better about Eduardo Rodriguez. Maybe that's something we should all remember for all these topics. Like, funny how quickly things can change in this game. For as much as I think the relationship aspect with guys in the clubhouse, probably going to take some more time to repair. Whatever happened, happened. Like, still pretty good at his job most of the time. So, I don't know. All it took was two starts for me to be like, oh yeah, maybe like, this guy was gone for two months and we were writing off the next four years as, as like a wash. That, that was probably short-sighted. Javi, I feel worse about that one because he's been awful. Uh, I think, like, surely he's not going to be this bad next year, right? Like, I think his production at the plate can be better. Next GM, you get to decide, are we going to have to try to move Javi to second? If so, are we spending big on a shortstop? Or are we getting a shortstop elsewhere? If so, are we turning Jonathan Scope, who might win a gold glove, into the world's highest paid utility infielder and, again, not fully utilizing his gold glove caliber defense at second base? These are all great <laughs> questions. The next GM is going to earn that paycheck right away. Um, and for the record right now, I I kind of think you got to find another shortstop and uh, Javi suddenly gets more valuable based on whatever power he may or may not produce there at second base. I think he can do better next year. Also, it's my understanding, someone correct me if my information is bad, Javi's a Tiger largely because they were willing to give him more years than anyone else. A lot of teams had concerns about how his game would age going into his 30s, and I still think that's a pretty legit concern. If he's having this big of a down year right now, and despite a lot of nicks and bruises, has remained relatively healthy. Like, what's Javi Baez at 33 years old going to look like? I have a hard time feeling great about that. Well, let me ask you this. He's done it before, but that felt like a unique circumstance. Is Javi a guy that would... Like, would he cause a stink in a locker room in a clubhouse being told you got to go to second base? I have no idea. I don't think he's uh, loud, like, outspoken enough to, like, cause a scene or a stink. But Javi's also a guy you got to keep him in a good mood. You have to keep him engaged. You have to keep him feeling good because once he starts retreating inward into himself, like, that's when you get problems from Javi. And so... If you're going to move him to second base, you got to have a real sit down and like explain it to him and why this is going to... Look, I'm sure Javi Baez, Javi Baez didn't come to Detroit to lose 100 games either. So if you're like, hey, we're getting whoever, I'm afraid to even throw out a name because I, I don't think they're going to sign Correa probably and I think Dansby Swanson's going back to Atlanta, so I don't know who it would be. But if you're saying, hey, we're bringing in a real dude at shortstop, if you move to second, like we feel a lot better about the team, I think. I think he could be on board with that. But you better have a real plan there at the same time. And it better be communicated to him properly, which I think A.J. Hinch tends to tends to do. But we'll see. Well, I will say, I, I kind of expect... I would probably expect, like, the more focused, best foot-forward Javi Baez next year 
because of that contract opt out, baby. Maybe, maybe you know, I, I think players in contract years, and I know it's not technically a contract year, but it could be. You know, players in contract years tend to be thinking about that money, and if he wasn't satisfied with his twenty, twenty-two, twenty-five million dollars or whatever, and he thinks he's worth more. Uh, the the opt out is one of the best tools that players have in negotiations. You get that for a reason, and I think that's just something to kind of keep in mind next year. Javi's gonna have to hell of a year. Hell of a, his, he's been so bad this year that it's gonna. A lot of teams look at three year samples in a lot of their analysis. So he could kill it next year. I still think a lot of teams are gonna be hesitant to. Sign Javi Baez to a larger multi-year deal, which is all the more incentive. He better really kill it next year. Not to mention that, you know, how much of would he even and his agent like be able to comprehend that? Not comprehend that's the wrong word, but how much would they be able to like if Javi's dead set on opting out? Is he going to be like talked out of it essentially? You know what I mean? Like it's like, hey, don't do it because the money's not there. Like. The, at the end of the day, it's his choice. Maybe he wants to do it no matter what. I don't know. It's sometimes sometimes players don't realize their true value. You know, they think they are worth more. So that that's a thing. Well, Javi bet on himself and his agent when they turned down a pretty yep. substantial offer for the Cubs a couple years ago, and it didn't work out. It's true. So, all right, we'll see. Last one, and I think the biggest one. Because it can go in a variety of directions. Big deal, little deal, no deal. From the outside looking in, AJ Hinch is the biggest power broker in the GM search. Now, Chris said he's going to have a committee of sorts but to my knowledge we don't really know what that's made of and let's just be honest here AJ Hinch and his resume makes him a big fish in a little pond and Chris is probably going to look at you know Obviously, I don't know this for a fact, but I imagine AJ is probably one of the more well-compensated managers in baseball. You really want to keep him because you're not going to get a manager that has his resume if he, you know, if he were not here. And... He also has a wealth of experience with multiple franchises. He's been in the game his entire life. Chris, by all accounts, is a guy that value like I mean that's the reason Al was GM for so long is that he lets people in positions of power do their job. And if AJ Hinch is going to be involved, I just kind of fear like who's the dissenting voice that's going to be loud enough to drown out anything AJ says. Now, the other side of that, and again, I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to I'm just going to kind of play 
both sides here in spirit of fairness. The other side of that is, uh, duh, you have no one else who could really convince somebody to come to Detroit right now because of the litany of issues that we have laid out in this podcast. So, yes, you, you know, it's not technically in his job description, but maybe you're getting a bargain by having him be the search committee because, like, this is an asset that you have that you probably don't warrant based on who you, based on the success of the franchise in recent years. So, those are the kind of two sides, is that, generally speaking, I'm always a little hesitant on either a coach or a GM having too much power. However, there are situations where that is still the best lane to ride in. So, I kind of say it's a big deal because it could be a big deal on whichever side that you lay on. You see what I'm saying? It's definitely not a no deal. And I and it's hard for me to say it's a little deal because there's so much riding on this uh, on this decision. So I, as I often do, because this is how my head works, tried to kind of think about it three you know three dimensionally. And I'm not outraged by AJ having a huge role. If he does have a huge role, he's saying that he doesn't, but he's available. But at the same time, it's like, who else would have a huge role? So, like, I, like again, I'm just literally spitballing here, Cody. I don't know if you can make any sense of what I'm saying or what your thoughts are. But it, 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 it feels to me like this is a big deal. I think I spend way too much time thinking about stuff like this. I think when I'm, like, driving home, like, this is kind of stuff that comes through my mind. When I'm, you know... Uh, a little bit of a stretch to say I lose sleep over it, but like I spend a lot of time in my head, like trying to figure out kind of the, the palace intrigue behind all this. And that's probably not good for, you know, like the state of my life. So I guess the simple fact that I think about it so much means it's a big deal. Uh, I think there, there are like so many layers to this. I think there's been a little bit of an effort recently to like kind of downplay the, Oh, AJ's in charge. Like, Oh, this isn't AJ's high or like, Really, AJ just wants to be the manager. Maybe have a relationship more like he had with Jeff Luna, where uh, he had some input, but really his job was to manage the team. I think the sentiment behind that is true. I think there's a large part, that's probably what AJ would like. His life would be less stressful if it could be that way. I don't think it's fully the reality. I think AJ's making a lot of decisions. I think AJ's the one having Zoom calls with Chris Illich all the time. I think, yeah, who else in this organization is leading the charge in this search? Well, you have a bunch of dudes who are about to get outed because they were part of the Avila regime, and then you have younger dudes who probably want the job for themselves and blah, blah, blah. Um, One thought I've had a couple times, I, I believe that AJ Hinch doesn't want to be the GM. I don't think he's going to be the GM. I wonder, would it be best to just make him the GM? If he's going to have this say and influence, would that would that be best? I don't think it, that's what how it's going to go, but that's an idea that's popped back into my head a lot recently. I feel fine with AJ having this degree of power because I think he's been there, he's done it, I think he is in the know, and uh, I have more confidence in him 
making these level of decisions than anyone else currently in the organization. I also wonder, uh, yeah, I think too much power can be a problem in, in, in any organization. I know behind the scenes, there's some, an idea starting to rise. Well, why doesn't AJ ever get any criticism? This department gets criticized and this department gets criticized and this department gets criticized and AJ, look, I think AJ and the coaching staff definitely deserve a share of the blame for this year's struggles. I think you can't overlook that. Whatever they did last year, they have not replicated it. They have not gotten the best out of these guys. I think the issues go far, far beyond that and are far more systemic, but that's still a point where that we have to acknowledge. Um, so there's kind of a growing sense. And then I think that's where AJ becoming the one voice of everything becomes a little bit of a problem. We're only hearing from AJ on most of this stuff. And AJ puts things pretty well. The Robbie Grossman stuff, he was real blunt. Hey, we got to get better. And he's not wrong. I think the Tigers need someone to be the voice of reason, to be the voice of reality. And I think AJ has played that role really well. At the same time, him being like the one public voice means everything's coming from his perspective. So do things get skewed there sometimes? You know, I think they probably do. So I'm on the same track as you, Karen. Does any of that that I just said make any sense? I don't know. Probably not. I think it's good that AJ Hinge is here. Good that he has a live decision-making power. Um, my ultimate thing is the more we hear, oh, AJ's not actually, doesn't actually have that much power. I don't think that's entirely true. I think the dude's got a lot of power. Well, okay, look. Here's the thing. How could he not? Yeah. How could he not have... Uh, given the situation of the team, how could he not have that much power? And the number one thing, and there's really no way to know this in advance, unless it's like someone that has just as much, if not better track record than him. You know, if, if like Flores gets hired, that'd be, I, I think there's a lot to like about him being GM. But... I have no way of knowing that he can't be steamrolled by AJ Hinch. I have no way of knowing that. So the the concern is that if AJ does have this much power, is the GM a yes man for him? Yeah. I do. That's where, like, I don't think AJ would want to hire a yes man. I think one of, when AJ was hired in Houston. Well, that's good to hear. Jeff Luno was asking people, hey, would you let the analytics team, would you let the lineup come from upstairs? So the Astros, the most forward-thinking analytical organization ever. AJ said, no, like I want to make the lineup. And Jeff Luno respected that, wanted a manager who could have that perspective. Mm -hmm. I would like to think AJ would carry a similar thing where, look, if he wanted a pushover GM, he could probably make that happen. Or he could be the GM himself. Or he could say, let's hire you know, ex internal candidate. And really it's very clear. AJ's calling all the shots. Uh, I think AJ is smart enough to know he needs a GM who can be a figure of authority. I do think it's, there is a world where AJ would like to not have to make every single decision. Um, so we can only hope that that, that that's my like feel. And we can only hope that's true because yeah, it's dangerous. If you just get a dude who's a yes man, that could be a big problem. Yeah, and it's good to hear that he doesn't want to have to carry that, but it's probably at the same time one of those things where it's like he will if he has to. So let's uh, yeah, well, and yeah, we all say we don't want to do certain things. AJ likes his control. AJ likes his control. Not saying that's like a bad thing. 
There were there are things in my life I'd say, oh, I don't want to deal with that. And then at the end of the day, well, actually, no, I kind of want to have my say, you know? I think that yeah. can be relatable to people out there. I agree. Uh, it'll be the last time we kind of try to, like, talk this through. And it'd be... I'm just looking forward. I know it's not going to be for a bit, but I'm literally looking forward to the name so that we can kind of move on to, like, you know, the the next step. But love the nuggets you put in here for the, po- the loyal podcast listeners who still download on Apple and Spotify and follow us on Twitter at Cody Stavenhagen, at Kieran underscore Steckley, at Turn Corner Pod as, uh, you know, the on-the-field product isn't as watchable as we'd all like it to be, but there's still a lot to be hashed out. And you know what? It's still fun to talk about it. I had fun today, Cody. I had fun. I had more fun than I would watching a James Cameron movie. I'll say that. (laughs) (laughs) Anything you want to plug uh, before we get out of here? Uh, No, I don't think so. I know we talked about Jace Young and Zach Noe, but I should have a pretty good Jace Young story, a little bit of a human interest story. It's about with his college hitting coach who went through some serious health complications. Hopefully that'll be coming out soon. Hope you guys will check it out. Uh, I think it'll be a good one. And, you know, some people might say, oh, these pods are too long. I hope you get this was a better hour of your life than an hour of a James Cameron movie that made no (laughs) sense. And, you know, you got at least two hours to go. I have nothing to add to that. That was perfect. Please continue to subscribe. Five star review if you feel so inclined for Cody Stavenhagen. I'm Kieran Steckley. Everybody have an amazing week. (laughs) 